Welcome to Cooperville. Do you know what's fun to do in Cooperville? Pack up your shit and get the fuck out. Listen. www.welcometocooperville.com <laughs> Who the fuck says www anymore? I can't even say it. www. <laughs> Stop that. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast. On demand anywhere quality podcasts are available. And some places where cheap podcasts are available. And the local gas station has some. Subscribe. Get updates. Feel better about your life. Welcome to Cooperville.com. Welcome to Cooperville. Make sure you use a coaster. The wife gets upset when we leave rings on the tables. So I finally had the opportunity after now uh, two months of being out of the radio industry to uh, go through all of my old interviews. Uh, It took me several weeks to gain access back to those audio files, but finally got a hold of them and went back through and listened to some of the interviews I'd done over the, uh, you know, more recently the last five to six years of my radio career. And really just uh, remember getting back into the storytelling aspect of talking to artists and really finding out about their journeys, uh, especially the album process. That was one of the things that always intrigued me while I was in the industry was talking to different artists about how they go about the process of writing songs and putting albums out and the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of album writing. And then the art of performing. There's a lot of different performances, uh, performing artists out there that really do an incredible job on their stage performance in many different visual aspects. You have guys that sometimes they just stand there and they let their music do their performing. Sometimes there's artists that combine music and energy into the show and they're moving around and bouncing around and jumping into the crowds. And then you got the guys that throw pyro and video techniques and things like that in there. So what I wanted to do on this episode uh, with no guests is uh, is relive some of those interviews that I did over the past couple of years. There'll probably be a few of these episodes that pop up throughout the course of the uh, longevity of this podcast. But this first one, I just kind of dived into the uh, really, really, to be honest, like the first fucking ones I could find. <laughs> I was like, there are so many different interviews on this uh, this hard drive. So I pulled up some of uh, some of the ones I could find right off the bat. First and foremost, John Cooper of the band Skillet, who every time I would run into those guys, whether it was at Rockfest or at a different concert, I would always bring up the fact that, well, I'm Cooper, and then John Cooper, and then you got Corey Cooper. They're obviously married. I always had the concept of us going on tour together as the Coopers, but though that never did come to fruition, I did have a chance to talk to John about the album Unleashed when that came out and the process of going through that album. Here's John. You know, the, la- the last record we made was, was the opposite. It was a really, really difficult record to make. And I, I think it's probably because, you know, we had a lot of success on, on the record before that, which was called Awake. I, I think what happened was uh, we kind of juked ourselves probably, uh, uh, which was the record came out and did, you know, a lot better than I ever expected it to do, better mm-hmm. than the label expected I think better than everybody expected. And so then everybody got involved with the next project. Yeah. It was almost like, man, well, we we weren't even uh, people outside of the band and the producer. We're a little like, we didn't even really work on this record, and look what happened. So yeah. if we work on it, it'll, you know, Skill will be the next, you know, Nickelback or something. Right. And yeah. uh, 
basically everybody got involved, and it was terrible. I hate—I don't hate the record, but I hated the process. We were fighting, yelling at each other in the studio with mm-hmm. the producer and the label. And uh, after that record came out, and, and it did well. I mean, the record just went gold a, a month ago, which was it was amazing. And yeah. so it's not that I didn't like it, but. I was like, man, I am not recording a record like that again. I'm just, I'm too old, life's too short, I don't care enough. I just want to make a record that I really like, I want to have fun doing it. You know, screw all those people, basically. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, that's why we called the record Unleashed. We weren't listening to too many people, we were just made the record we wanted to make and, and had a great time doing it. I still think the Coopers has a great ring to it, I'm just saying. Next time John and I are together, I'm going to... Continue to reiterate, the Coopers, let's bring this thing on tour. I mean, I have no music ability, but still, it would be a good time. I could be the hype man. That could be my gig. Matt Brooks is my friend uh, from New Zealand in a band called Like a Storm. Great group of guys. Always awesome to talk to them. And when they were putting together the album Catacombs, uh, I had a chance to talk to him after they put the album together about going through the process and also about the meaning behind Catacombs from Like a Storm. Here's Matt. You know, we've worked really hard on this record. And we we wanted to you know we had this opportunity having put out a week in the flyer and yeah. toured toured the states toured the world we had an opportunity to to really explore what the next evolution of our band could be and so we took some time away from touring to focus on making catacombs and and now we finished it and it comes out next week so we just yeah. like we can't wait for people to hear it you know we we felt that there was the right time to just sort of take our hands off the wheel and mm-hmm. just let let the music go where it wanted to go. Um, thematically, the album is about uh, the things that we bury down inside ourselves, the mm-hmm. things that we try and hide from the outside world. And so lyrically and musically, it's a pretty dark record. Right. But what was what was really interesting is that was just the music that we wrote when we allowed ourselves to be honest about you know, where the band was going and things that we were going through in our own lives. Matt always used to have to correct me on the digideru, the digideru, digideru. I still can't pronounce it to this day, but love those guys like a storm. It is uh, episode number nine of the podcast. And what we're doing here is we're going through some of my interviews I've done over my past 20 years of radio. Uh, Great interview uh, I had to do with Miles Kennedy of Ultra Bridge. Also, of course, Miles Fronts Slash's band uh, with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. I learned so much about Miles that I did not know doing this interview. Uh, this is uh, when Slash took his first break to go back in studio and work with Ultra Bridge. They were just about to get back onto the road. You know, people are just looking for something that uh, that they can connect with, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that Ultra Bridge is. Has always attempted to do is is do is from a lyrical standpoint touch on universal themes, right. you know, things that that uh, that everybody experiences and can relate to. Um, so it's yeah, it's cool to hear stories like that. I think that uh, you know one of the things we've noticed years of touring is that we'll look into a very vast array of different types of listeners at our shows and, and it and it's funny my brother came to some shows over in Europe uh this last year and, and he, he commented on that he's like man you guys have a like a really wide demographic just so many different types of of folks go to your shows and and, and that really that means a lot to us. It's it's very cool that to been able to kind of tap into these different types of, 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 of listeners. It's it's rad. 
another prime example of that is a, a really good friend of mine, uh, you know, is a, like a graphic designer. He's like, you know, all in the digital world and, you know, where's a, where's a button up shirt to work. And, and, and when my champion came out, he was like, you got to play my champion more often. I love Alter Bridge. So it, it's such a, oh, that's cool. you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the music just has such a, a feel to it. And I think that that resonates with fans of all different backgrounds. And, and But they all kind of, they find a, they find their message in the music. Speaking of the live show, right. uh, my first time seeing you, that is just one of the most fun shows. It, it's so genuine. It's so rock and roll. I mean, I just, I mean, I stood there and kind of, Soaked it all in, you know, between you and Mark and, and the, the dueling that goes on back and forth. But just the, the feel in the crowd was positive and, and, and rock and roll. I just I enjoyed it thoroughly. So that live show, man, that's, that is a, a spectacle, oh, and I love it. Thank you. You know, that's what we try. You know, that's what we try. Our, our goal is, is to try and, you know, have people leave feeling happy. And, yeah. and, and I, I think that, um, you know, the music is such a powerful medium in that respect where, you know, not only can it bring people together, but it also can elevate emotions. And, mm-hmm. and, and so when you hear stories like that, it certainly makes all the time away from family and away from home more than worthwhile. It makes you feel like you've got a real purpose. Is there still a little, uh, the, the, the butterflies still get to you right before, you know, the curtain drops? There can be. It yeah. really, it, it kind of, dep- yeah, it depends on a number of different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Generally, not not as much as there used to be. But if 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 something's being like uh, there's some sort of video element to it. In other <laughs> words, if there's like if we're doing if we're streaming a live show right. or if we're doing something for a DVD, then you tend to get a little nervous. Or if you're doing some television show, that yeah, that that's where my nerves tend to kick in. But the, what I forget is, is that pretty much every show now is going to be online, <laughs> regardless. Somebody's so, watching. You know, yeah. Yeah, you know, with everybody in their phones and streaming, and and uh, so yeah, you know, it's it, I I think it used it's funny. I used to have, get really bad stage fright. In mm. fact, it was my stage fright was so bad when I was a kid that I didn't think I'd be able to be a musician. Um, it was like kind of kind of paralyzed me more. <laughs> so just through years and years of doing it and kind of figuring out tricks of tricking your brain into calming down, I've right. I've uh, you know managed to make a go of it. That story always amazes me because you think of these artists when they get a chance to go on the stage and just own it. You never think about the nerves or the fact that there was a point in their lives when they didn't think they were going to be able to do what they wanted to do to you know, fulfill their dreams of being uh, a musician or a rock star or a frontman or a guitar player because of their innate fear of being in front of giant crowds. Miles Kennedy obviously has done very well for himself from Alter Bridge. My history with the guys in Seven Dust goes back many, many years. Back when I was working uh, on the first rock station that was in the market, Seven Dust played like the first ever rock show at the hockey arena uh, in the sprawling metropolis of Altoona. We had such a good time with the guys from Seven Dust. We actually ended up after the show going downtown and hitting up a couple bars uh, downtown Eau Claire and getting into massive amounts of trouble. I believe at the time I was incarcerated, like I was on like work release program, but my work release hours were like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. I timed it out uh, appropriately for that one, but I digress. Years later, I had a chance to talk to John uh, when they went from doing an acoustic album and they released some of those songs. And the Seven Dust has been around for, I think, longer than anybody realizes. So when they had a chance to do an acoustic album, they really enjoyed doing it. But then they realized after you do an acoustic album, all you really want to do is turn things up to 11. Here's John Connolly of Seven Dust. Yeah, you know, I mean, the whole acoustic experience for us is like, I mean, it's it's a 
you know, it, it's a twofold thing because it gives our fans something that they've, you know, seen little glimpses of and, and, and crave, but it also gives us that, uh, that chance to kind of change gears. And when you change gears and you sit in that gear for a while, you don't realize how you know how heavy you come back out. <laughs> I mean, we, we we were swinging for the fences as soon as we plugged back in. So, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the beauty of this band, you know, being able to switch gears from you know something that's just so ridiculously over the top heavy to you know to a song like Angel Sun. I mean, Lejean gives us the ability to to use every gear and you know in in, in the gear box. I do have to ask: Are you like the uh, the king of the whiteboard? Is that like is that your thing? Like, don't touch John's whiteboard. Or you know, I'm telling you, man, I, I hate that thing, and I don't know why I get <laughs> stuck with it. I'm the one who has to make the lines and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I guess over the years I've been the keeper of the boards. I've got a whole closet full of those things. <laughs> do you have like do you have like the best handwriting of everybody in the group? No, it's like <laughs> mine's like serial killer, borderline serial killer, like dentist. So somewhere in that realm is where I'm at. It's terrible. As a matter of fact, um, you know, when we were doing, uh, we wanted kind of more of a personal touch on Cold Day Memory, and I remember the guys, they hit me up and they were like, we got a real big favor to ask you, and I was like, oh, shit, here we, here we go, what is it, what is it, what is it? And uh, they're like, we want you to write all the lyrics in your handwriting for the entire record. I was like, oh, oh I knew man. it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, it's it's terrible. I mean, you, you can barely read any of it, so I don't know why. I don't know why I'm the keeper of the board. Well, it, it seems it, it seems that you have uh, you've you've taken on that responsibility and that role, and uh... I guess yeah, <laughs> it's been years, decades. <laughs> when you have a chance to get in the studio with one another, do you guys have much off time? Is it is it all business getting straight into the studio and getting tracks laid down? I mean, do you guys have any time to get out and you know, go catch a movie, do anything else, or is it is it all business for Seven Dust when you get in in those closed doors? Well, I mean, it kind of used to be that way. I mean, you know, we used to be the shark. You know, where if the shark stops swimming, it, it's going to die. You know. It was yeah. like we were kind of a means to an end. It was like in order to, you know, in order to keep the machine going, we kind of had to keep moving. And, uh, you know, some of that was financial. Some of that was just, you know, some business stuff that we, you know, were in the middle of that we needed to get out of. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy. It's like every album cycle is a little bit different. But with this one, uh, with this one, it was weird because we took time off both before we made it and after we made it. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty considerable amount, too. I mean, most people... You know, they don't look at eight months off being a long time, but, you know, in the world of Seven Dust, that's an eternity, yeah. you know. Um, but we took two months before we started making it. Um, we had the whole Shiprock cruise that kind of sat right on the front side of the record, and we were going to start the record before it, and then it was like, right, why well, start something and then go unplug and do, you know, a trip to the Bahamas and then try to plug back in and do all that stuff. You know, let's just wait until we're done with the trip. So we waited until we were done with Shiprock, topped in the studio, and it's almost been six months since we finished it. So, you know, we do sneak in the little uh, the little moments of, of time off and break and, you know, be able to unplug and, and put the daddy hat and the family hat on yeah. and do all that good stuff. But, you know, I mean, it's still, you know, when we leave for tour, our family knows, okay, you know, we've had you home <laughs> for six <laughs> months and now we're not going to see you for at least a year, yeah. you know, for any extended period of time. But, you know, I don't know, man. As we get older, it's like we just put more breaks in. We kind of build the family more into the schedule, and it, uh, you know, it kind of keeps things balanced. I mean, we don't go any more than two or three weeks without seeing the family. So, 
That's why I just love hearing these stories over again because, you know, a lot of times you, you do a lot of interviews over 20 years in radio. You talk to so many different artists. Half of them I've forgotten I did, and then I, I find the file, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's right. I talked to them. And that, that topic came up. Uh, but with the John conversation, just about learning about his handwriting, his handwriting and how he, uh, he characterizes it, and then the band coming to him and asking him to write down the, uh, you know, the entire uh, lyric sheet for the album. That's just, uh, you know, it's, it's stuff that you, you – as even as a fan of a band, you wouldn't necessarily have insight to, but really cool opportunity here on the podcast to be able to to reshare these stories and maybe uh, spark your interest back up in uh, in some of these artists that are out here. Uh, Candlebox is an, a band that's obviously been around for a long time. A lot of hits, a lot of hits that you know are still staples on rock radio in its current form. And the cool thing about how uh, music and uh, the digital age and how the internet has really brought a lot of Bands, you know, even from before the 90s, like a band like Candlebox, but older bands like the Stones and things, you know, a lot of younger generations are refinding these bands and refinding these songs because they can find them online. And I got a chance to talk to uh, to Kevin Martin of Candlebox about so many different things, about longevity, about waking up one day and saying, I guess this is my career. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, here is Kevin Martin of Candlebox. <laughs> What's the definition of insanity? <laughs> Doing it all over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beating your head against the wall and expecting a different result. Um, that's how. Um, yeah. You know, honestly, I think it's we we uh, we love what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know I, what the secret is. I don't know how it got here. You know, maybe it is because we sold four million records in the first album, or. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, I'm just grateful that this is my job and and that I get to do what I love. Um, and and I only have to answer to myself when when something goes wrong. And so maybe that's the secret. Um, we wrote a, a record 23 years ago that had two really really successful songs on it. Yeah. Maybe that's why we're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't know what the secret is. Um, I'm just um, I'm just happy that uh, that I'm able to do this. And I think that that's really what keeps me going. You just have to be grateful that um, that you don't have to clock in. You know mm-hmm. and. Um, I remember, you know, having to work at a shoe store. Um, it's where I actually met all the musicians from Seattle, and yeah. um, you know, and and that wasn't fun having to be there, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning and and working all day and smelling stinky feet and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> now I, I only have to smell my own stinky feet, so it's a good thing. You know? It's a major step over twenty five years. You know, it's it's all about the stench of feet. Yeah. That's how I like to look at it. You know, when you have that kind of, you know, discography going back to 93 up into the latest record, how difficult of a process is it for you, you know, each night to to pick out a set list? I mean, I I, I can't imagine having to go through that process. Obviously, you know what, you know, what the, the, the long-time uh, Candlebox fans, they want to hear, you know, stuff from the first couple records. But you also have, you know, this this new energy, and you know, when you put out, put out a new record, you, you want to play the new stuff. Is it a difficult process? I mean, b- besides, the, you know, the, the three that you have to play, how tough is it for you guys to get that list uh, set every night? It's difficult, man. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. You know, it really is a matter of, of, I mean, we know we want to play the new record as much of it as we can. Um, so we try to squeeze four or five of those in. Um, I know that there's more stuff that people want to hear from Lucy and Happy Pills and yeah. Into the Sun and, and um, uh, Love Stories and Other Musings, but we really don't have that um, fan base that, you know, where we've sold, you know, four million copies of each record where we have to fill out, you know, a 25-song set like Pearl Jam does or some of those bands. So for us knowing that we we're doing 15 16 songs in a set we want to make sure that we play what the audience wants to hear 
but also what we want to do. And um, and that's that's hard, man, because I'd much rather you know play the the new record and Love Stories and Other Musings and Into the Sun and it's mm-hmm. in their entirety than go back through the catalog. Another cool fact about Kevin Martin, uh, also at one point in early on in his career was a shoe salesman. I myself was also a shoe salesman back uh, in like the early 2000s for a while while I was doing uh, radio and selling shoes at the same time. Uh, maybe I should have kept up with that career. Maybe it would have lasted a little bit longer. No, 20 years is, is good enough for me. That is episode nine of the podcast. Very cool stuff that we are all available on all platforms. You're welcome to Cooperville Podcast anywhere you can find it. Be sure wherever you are listening to it, whether it's on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, that you subscribe to it. You get updates every time we come out. And also, uh, www.welcometocooperville.com. If you subscribe on there, we're uh, sending out email newsletters every time there's a new episode. And we're going to be sending out some cool stuff from some of our awesome show sponsors. So a lot of fun stuff coming up on the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. Big shows coming up in the next few, so stay tuned.